Today's video was recorded on February 1st, 2022, and this is the fourth installment in our series on the book of Exodus. In this lesson, we explore the story of the birth of Moses and then the subsequent actions of Pharaoh's daughter. So Pharaoh's daughter plays a huge role in redemptive history. She saves Moses from certain death and then raises him as her own son. We often read too quickly past this story and we don't fully appreciate the significance of her moral courage to disobey her father's orders. And she had the compassion to save Moses and then ultimately take him into her own home as her son. So the question we're going to ultimately explore has to do with Pharaoh's daughter's name. Now, Exodus is silent on her name, but there's a later reference in the Old Testament that the sages of Israel noticed, and that may give us a clue. And the name found later in the text provides an amazing example of a measure for measure, God rewarding Pharaoh's daughter for her courage in the face of tyranny. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel by clicking that red subscribe button below. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can follow our channel, and we would certainly appreciate it if you took just a moment or two to rate the podcast and let us know how we're doing. So we hope you enjoyed today's lesson on the birth of Moses and Pharaoh's daughter in the book of Exodus. One of the things that's nice about going a little bit slower, like we are in the book of Exodus, is you can really look at, take the time to look at the details. And I think tonight, what we're going to see in Exodus 2 is very instructive in the way that the Old Testament and what we talked about a couple weeks ago, the ancient Near East manner in which they communicate. It's always subtle. It's below the surface. And I think tonight will be a, a, a great illustration of that in these very short story of Moses's birth and then Pharaoh's daughter. And Till you stop and look at these stories, you don't realize what a hero Pharaoh's daughter is. And I think maybe we can elevate her a little bit, the courage it took to go against her father and raise Moses, as we'll see, as her son. And it's an interesting thing that the sages do with that text. So, the birth of Moses, just a few lines uh, in Exodus 2, and then Pharaoh's daughter, just a few lines in Exodus 2. And then the story moves on very quickly, almost like Jesus. The author of Exodus doesn't have a lot of uh, concern once Moses is born with how he grew up. You know, we get to the New Testament and everybody wants to know, what was teenage Jesus like? Well, the text just doesn't tell us that. They're not interested in that. So it's, it's, uh, it mirrors what is in Exodus and Moses. Okay, so our background picture. I find these paintings because I want to get a nice illustration of the story. Of course, I, I'm not, I don't know anything about art. This looks like a Russian uh, artist, uh, Alexei Tirnov, and 18, somewhere they dated it between 1839 and 1842. And of course, depicting Moses' mother. Uh, I had to crop it a little bit, so his sister Miriam is in the background, and Moses in a basket, and it's always illustrative to to uh, look at the, you know, we often get our uh, information about the Bible from paintings. We don't realize it. Art is so powerful, 
So if you look at the basket that Moses is in, probably looks more more like something from, I don't know, Eastern Europe than uh, ancient Egypt. That's how you, you know, little details in paintings always pop out because they're, it's reflecting the mind of the painter rather than the, um, the reality of what was on the ground. But anyways, that'll be our background picture. So Exodus, this is part number four of who knows how many um, parts we'll be going through uh, the book of Exodus. And I'm going to start with a very quick overview. This is number one on your sheet. Just to tell you where we're going, because it's a little bifurcated. We'll connect them at the end. But we're going to talk about one, uh, the birth of Moses, and two, Pharaoh's daughter, of course. And within the birth of Moses, I just want to show you something. It's lying underneath the text, and it's impossible to read it in English. Uh, every Hebrew commentary points this out. English commentaries completely miss it. And there's a subtext. There's a subtext of a, it's the dawning of a new age, the birth of Moses, and the, the way that they do it, they use like a literary technique to show you, to tell you there's a new beginning happening, a new age. You're coming out of slavery into something new. It's a subtext. And once you know it's there, it's pretty cool. But we'll never find it in English. You, you really, you'd have to know the Hebrew. And then Pharaoh's daughter, because Pharaoh's daughter has a huge role in redemptive history. She saves Moses. Not only does she save Moses, she takes him in as her son. And we'll see uh, at the end how the rabbis deal with that, because there's a little piece in the Bible that they connect to that. And it's actually pretty cool. Um, to think about, but she has a much larger role in redemptive history, and considering that she's the daughter of the guy who's trying to wipe out the Hebrew people, well, that's pretty important. It took a lot of courage for her to do that. All right, so that's where we're going tonight, uh, birth of Moses and Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, two resources, and, and I'm putting this up for everybody who would watch the video afterwards, because um, you always want to have a good resource. We're going through a difficult book like Exodus, so two of them I would recommend. Uh, the first one is an actual, it's a commentary. Now, it's from the Jewish Publication Society, JPS, and it's written it's a, as a book in Hebrew. Now, it has the English and all of his commentaries in English, but that picture right there, which is actually the front of the book, we would consider it the back. So it reads backwards compared to, it reads like a book in Israel would read rather than the other way around. Great commentary. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about what he writes in there about adoption, ancient adoption. And Nahum Sarna is the author of that one. And then the second one, there's a whole series of these books by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He passed away in November of 2020, but Rabbi Sachs was the chief rabbi of Great Britain, and he's got a series of commentaries on everything from all of the books of the Torah, leadership, spirituality, and they're called Covenant and Conversation. This is Exodus, and I'll give you a quote as he talks about Pharaoh's daughter at the end. It'll come out of this book here, but that's a great resource to walk you through the book of Exodus.
Okay, we're going to go, so if you have your Bible, you can go to Exodus 2. We're just going to read the first 10 verses. And before we start reading, I want to tell you what we're going to look at. So you'll be aware as we're walking through it, uh, what's coming. Um, The first one is, as I mentioned, the ancient way of communicating is to always layer in your meaning in the subtext, right? So we tend to read the Bible at the surface, and unfortunately, because we're reading it in English, often, because the translators are trying to help you understand the meaning at the surface, we'll miss some of the things that are going on in the text. So for instance, we're going to look at a couple literary techniques. Repetition is one. There's some that use uh, the sound of a word. Um, There's a whole bunch in this little 10 verses. And they help point you if you know where to look, because if we were all listening in Hebrew, these things would stand out. But we're reading in English, so these literary techniques are in Hebrew, and of course that's our disadvantage. But um, if you know the book is written this way, you'll start to search underneath for uh, where you find these gems of, of how the authors are communicating. Okay, so Exodus 2, 1 to 10. Here's what we're going to talk about. Notice as we read, so the book of Exodus is called in Hebrew, Shemot. That means the names. So as we, we mentioned when we looked at the two midwives, they're named. It's a big deal to be named. So we're going to look at who gets names and who doesn't have names. And perhaps that's pointing us towards something. Um, so names is a big deal. We'll, uh, I just want you to pay attention to that. Another one that shows up all within um, chapter 2, and um, let's see, this is, this is number 2 on your handout, by the way, is you'll see it repeated in chapter 2, the idea that you see something, you, you see it, and that seeing is much deeper than just, I see it, I see it, I understand it, I understand the fullness of everything about it. If you're looking at a human, I, I see the humanity in front of me. And taking action. It's not just, I saw somebody was hungry, I saw and I fed. If someone doesn't have a coat, Jesus says, give them a coat, right? And there's a principle that comes out of the Bible. Uh, it's a principle within Judaism, but, you, but once you know it's there, you'll see it in the Bible and even in the New Testament. And the principle is called tikkun alam in Hebrew. Tikkun alam, it means to repair a broken world. Uh, sometimes restore the order from the chaos that's been created, or maybe uh, to fix everything. It's the idea that God wants to partner with us to repair the brokenness of the world. Well, how do you do that? First, you have to see it. When you see that something needs fixing, then act to fix. And I think this is where so much of our Christian life is spent in service. You see something that needs fixing, and you gather a group of people, or the church gets together, and you fix it, and you bring order to where a place there was chaos. That's a tikkun alam, and it's first seeing. So throughout chapter 2, Moses' mother saw, Pharaoh's daughter saw, Uh, Later on in chapter 2, Moses saw, and then they take action. So it's not just seeing and then not doing anything, it's seeing and taking action. So as we read, 
See the see the how many times they mention the word see. And these principles would be ingrained in a, in the first century uh, Judaism that Jesus lived in. And I think if you read the gospel, that's exactly what he wants us to go do, is to go fix, fix things. You do it, he says to his disciples. You feed the people. So, okay, let's read then Exodus 2, 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the NIV. Again, notice names and seeing, right? So, uh, starting uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus back basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Okay, verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it, and it was a bait. She saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Okay, verse 8. She says, Yes, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, while I, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. All right, that's it. Ten verses uh, of the birth story of Moses. Uh, and now what we need to do is go in there and kind of pull out some of the pieces um, of what's going on with this whole story, because it'll start to make sense when you know some of the details that are, uh, that are happening. So, first thing, and this is. Uh, Number three on your sheet. The birth of Moses is being expressed here as the dawn of a new era, right? As I mentioned earlier, this, your end of slavery, you're now moving on to freedom. This is going to be your leader who takes you out of Egypt, your redeemer of Israel. And how do we know that? How do we know that they're talking about a dawn of a new era? Well, it's going to reflect the words of Genesis. Now, it doesn't in English, but when I show you what the Hebrew words are, and then sh just I'll tell you where it is in Genesis, you'll, you'll kind of do one of those V8 moments, you know. Ah, I should have gotten that, you know. So, for instance, look at Exodus 2, verse 2. This is where the very first reference to Genesis is. Uh, so, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'll read it. And it's just this little sentence where it says, when she saw that he was a fine child. Now, look at your Bible. Some of your Bibles might have a beautiful child. Some, I, she saw that he was a 
goodly child, I think the, the new King, or the King James says, a healthy child. What's the expression underneath that our English is trying to get at? So there's basically two main words. She saw, that's one word in Hebrew. And then this phrase right here, he was a fine child. It's actually not. That it's one word in Hebrew, and the word is tov. Mazel tov. Tov means good. She saw that good, or saw it was good. So it would look like this. She saw, ra'ah is the Hebrew, that good, or that good he. Now, kitov, and so the word ra'ah kitov, where do we find that? Where do we find ra'ah, that somebody saw, and two, that it was good? Genesis 1, right? And the Lord saw the light, and the light was good. Seven times in Genesis, and the words are those, it's ra'ah kitov. Now, Tov, he just says good. Well, now, on the surface, she is, it's, she's looking at a baby and says, this is good. But there's a deeper me le meaning below it, right? It's reflecting this new beginning. Uh, our English struggles. Uh, he was a fine child. He was beautiful. He was healthy. Um, he was goodly. Because they're trying to work with the word good. What does that mean? But it's ra'akitov, and that's he saw, and it was good. And now you'd say, aha, at least if we're in the audience listening, we would say, I know that phrase from Genesis. I see there's a new beginning happening here. They're weaving it into the text. Now, so it stands out much more in, uh, in if you're listening to it in Hebrew or reading it. Now, you might say, uh, come on, that's just, you're, you're, you're going too deep. You're trying to read too much into the text. That's not really, well, first of all, that's how they write, so we know if you go look for that and you find it. But second, let's look at the next verse, right? So the first one takes us back to Genesis and creation. Now look at verse 3. So Exodus 2, verse 3. It says, But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket. Now that my NIV says basket. Okay, we're gonna, we'll deal with that in a minute. She coated the basket with tar and pitch. And so we'd have to look here. The NIV, right next to the word basket, puts a footnote. Ah, maybe your Bible has a footnote. See if your Bible has a footnote and what the footnote says. Because the word isn't necessarily basket, but that's how we might translate it in English. And so the footnote here in the NIV says, the Hebrew can also mean ark. Now, who rides in the ark? Noah. And so, and actually, it's the Hebrew word for ark. I know it says here Hebrew can also mean, but it shows up twice in the Bible. Twice there's an ark that saves somebody from the waters. It's in Noah, and it's in um, here. And so you'd say, aha, I see. There's, there's not only the new creation of Genesis, but the Noah story is also a story of new creation. God 
said, hey, I'm done with y'all. I'm going to flood the earth, which is really a decreation event, right? right? At the beginning, he separates the waters. And so the flood is actually waters coming down from above and waters coming up from below. It decreation. And then God says, okay, I'll, I'll divide the waters again. Noah, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And so two sentences in a row, you get references back to something in Genesis that would talk about creation. That's why the, the rabbis say, ha, huh, there's something there about creation. So Noah, or I'm sorry, so she got a papyrus ark. Now, it doesn't really make sense, but what was the ark of Noah co coated with? Same thing, tar and pitch. So you'd say, ah, there's clearly a reference going on to Noah. So uh, that's number two. And if we go think about Noah, let me just, I, I have these on your notes. Noah is a story of new creation. As I mentioned, you go to the decreation event of the flood, God renews the earth. When Noah comes out, there's a new covenant with humanity. What's Moses about to do with God? He's going to mediate a new covenant. Just like uh, Noah was in the ark, Moses was in the ark. The ark is the idea of delivering you through the chaotic waters. And uh, there's some amazing stuff about what are you doing to build your ark, whether the ark is your marriage whether the ark is your is scripture, whether the ark is your, um, your whatever part of your life, are you reinforcing so that when the flood comes and you know what it's like to have a flood come, uh, when the flood comes, you're prepared, and that's building your ark. Um, so the ark delivers you through the waters, and the ark isn't the idea of divine protection. What's well, exactly what's happening here with Moses? So. The whole point is when you see this idea, it remember it's underneath. You got to know the Hebrew because we can't pick it up in English. It's, there's a dawning of a new era, and it, they do it by reflecting Genesis. So that's real quick, just a couple verses about Moses, but really important to notice. Okay, next we're going to totally shift gears. Well, kind of because it's the same story, but we're going to talk Pharaoh's daughter because now she's going to enter the picture. Um, you know, Moses' mom, she doesn't float Moses down the Nile where the, you know, where the, the, the river is going to take him downstream. She puts him in the reeds, kind of sticks him in the reeds. You know, hopefully nothing will happen where he goes out and floats downstream. So he's stuck in the reeds. And that, of course, is where Pharaoh's daughter shows up. Um, so the first thing we notice, just before we go into it, she has no name yet. And that's going to be kind of a big deal when we get to the end. Um, two, she disobeys her father. So she's one of the characters who's involved in civil, civil disobedience. She sees humanity and she says, ah, even though I know this is a slave, he's not just a piece of whatever that I can throw on the trash pile. It's a human being and I have compassion for it. And then, as I mentioned earlier, she sees and acts, and that's part of, the, they recognize, the rebuilding of the chaotic world, that you have to see it, and then you take action to put things back together. So, if we go back to verse 5 and 6, this is where we're going to find Pharaoh's daughter, and we see, now you can really see the emphasis that's happening, Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, 
and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket, there's her seeing, among the reeds, and then she sent a female slave to get it, so she's acting. She opened it and saw the baby. He's crying. She has compassion for him. And she feels uh, how easy is it to find, to see somebody from the other group, the group that's supposed to be your enemy, and not feel a thing if they're suffering, or to even desire that they suffer more, and how easily humanity falls into that trap. Because all of this, seeing and action, seeing and action, comes before she makes the statement, this is one of the Hebrew babies. So, amazing stuff that we have to give her a lot of credit for, for her character, that is often, again, we, we read past this so quickly, we don't stop to think about the character that it takes to do this. Now, eventually, what's going to happen is, and this is even cooler, is she's going to call Moses her son. You know, I just, it doesn't even dawn on me that Moses grew up in, the, in Pharaoh's palace and that his mom, adopted mother anyways, was the princess. You just kind of forget that and you move right on to the Ten Commandments. So if we look at uh, Exodus 2, 9 and 10, I'm going to skip down a little bit. The other thing I hope you notice, what's, what's Moses' sister's name? Miriam. And it's almost like the author is taking pains to not put anybody's name in. Now, later on in Exodus, you find out the mother's name, the father's name. We find out that he already has an older sister named Miriam. Later, we find out he has an older brother named Aaron. So, it's... It's almost like the author is taking pains not to name anybody until you get to the end, Moses. He's now the character that we're all going to focus on. He's the only one with a name in this whole thing. Um, okay, so fair, they, they go get uh, the mother of Moses, we know. It's not, they just call her the woman here. They go get Moses' mother, and what's about to happen is uh, what you're going to see is reflected in ancient documents about child adoption. So they have, they have documents in, from Egypt, or the ancient Near East, that talk about um, adopting a child. And what may happen, because you'll see, she's going to pay him a fee. So let's start verse 9. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you a fee. That was typical. Whoever's going to adopt the child finds a, a wet nurse. The wet nurse is going to nurse the baby and raise it for a certain period of time for a fee. And then after a set, it'll be in a contract. They'll have a contract. After a set amount of time, you're going to bring the child then because infant mortality was so, uh, was so high. So many babies died. If you're going to adopt a baby, Make sure it gets past the first couple years. So this is what happens. She, she says, okay, take the baby, nurse it for me. I'll pay you. Then she says, so the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. So after a certain period of time, she goes to Pharaoh's daughter, and now the adoption is now completed. And legally, 
and he became her son. So this is a legal type. Now, it's surprising that God uses this woman in the enemy's house to raise the Redeemer of Israel, but that's how God works, right? So he becomes her son. And then what's really cool is the very next part of the phrase, she names him Moses. Now, who names a child in the biblical world? Who's first supposed to name a child? The parents. The parents name the child. And in the Bible, who else names people? God. Yeah, God names people. Right? So he'll give from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. So he gives Jacob the new name Israel. And what's so wild about this is Moses is named by an Egyptian princess, and God always refers to him as Moses. He doesn't try to change his name later. That's pretty wild. We know him based on his Egyptian name from his Egyptian adopted mother. So it's like normally, you know, God wants to twist something to say you're, you're new. That's, that's pretty wild. The other thing, there's a tradition within the rabbinic world that says that Moses' Hebrew given name was Tobias. Now, what's the word? What did his mother say? I saw him and it was, or he was good. And that word is tov. And so the name Tobiah is, means Yah is good. God is good. So the, the tradition is that Moses' given Hebrew name would have been Tobias, because that's what his mother first proclaimed. Kind of like, you shall name him uh, Jesus, the Lord saves, something like that. Okay, so she names him Moses. That's pretty wild. And saying, I drew him out of water. So we'll talk about this in a minute. Where does the name Moses come from? Because it's both a dual Egyptian name, and then it goes into Hebrew, and it works out in Hebrew as well. So anyways, hopefully you can see this woman has such an important role, and her character is defining her actions, and God honors that by not changing Moses' name. So, all right, so real quick, uh, let me think where we're at here. All right, she, number five. So number six, and number six says, Pharaoh's daughter provides the name of Moses, not the Hebrew parents. That would be normal. So Moses' name um, is, a it's a play on words. And the reason I say that is because the name Moses is derived from an Egyptian word that means child. Well, I'll show you that in a minute. And then a Hebrew word to draw out of water. But they sound almost exactly alike. So um, it's a common uh, Egyptian name, but then they have a Hebrew word and who knows how God put this all together, but there's a play on words going on because it fits both Egyptian and Hebrew. So the Egyptian side, there's a verb, masay, the verb means to be born. And the same thing happens in Hebrew. There's a, a verb to be born, and then you take the verb to be born and you make it a noun. So moses, right? And you'd have Moses. And that would be child or son. So the verb to be born, the noun is a child. And the same exact thing with Hebrew. Yalad, to be born. Yaled, 
to be a child. Same word. Okay, that's the Egyptian. Just to show you, I put some very, uh, it's a very common Egyptian name because the pharaohs would say, hey, I'm a son of a god or I'm the god reborn. And so I put, a, I put three different, there's a whole bunch of pharaohs that have names like this, but for instance, Amos, Amos or Amose is child of Ah, which is the moon. So the pharaoh's calling himself the child of Ah. You have Tutmos, and that's the god Toth. So Toth is born, or it could be child of Toth. Same thing, but uh, we talked last week. Pharaoh Ramses, Ramses, the god Ra, is the son of Ra. He is so Pharaoh is declaring he's the son of a god. And that was fairly common. So this, this Mos, Mos, and then the Mises is all the, the word that Moses comes from. I just want to give you examples of the, the Egyptian to show you how that fits as an Egyptian name. But then we can also put it in Hebrew, because what's our Bible Old Testament written in? It's written in Hebrew. And so as the words are being written down of what the Pharaoh, whether she spoke Hebrew or not, the words written down are in Hebrew. And, and the word in Hebrew is Mashah. So if you hear a, a, a Jewish name, Moshi, we say Moses, but they say Moshi, comes from Mashah. And Mashah is a word that you find it only a couple times in the Old Testament, to draw up or draw out of water. And that's exactly what the, is how it's explained. That's what the uh, Pharaoh's daughter says. I drew him up out of water. So the whole point is to, give, to, to show you that, one, Moses is an Egyptian name, but two, it has a, a Hebrew corollary that fits the story. And so it's just, uh, you know, again, how God puts all these things together that he's got both sides of it, and it's playing against each other, and that's just kind of cool with the name of Moses. So, okay, let's, wrap, let's pull this all together with uh, going back to Pharaoh's daughter, because Pharaoh's daughter, first of all, there's no name. There's no name mentioned there in Exodus. But she then names Moses, so she gets the honor. God never changes that name. That's powerful. And then it says, of course, she becomes the mother to Moses. And what I want to do is kind of fill in this square right down here in the corner. So does she have a name? Well, the sages of Israel notice something in the Bible. And what we would call this is we allow text to interpret the text. So if we have a question about something in Exodus, and we find something somewhere else in the Bible that might answer that question, we put the two together to see if it works, right? You want the Bible to answer its own questions. Text, interpreting text. So, we do have something in uh, the Bible, and it's in a verse that we probably... Actually, you guys might know something very close to this verse. First Chronicles 4.18. So if you have your Bible, turn to First Chronicles 4.18. Many of you have probably read the book, The Prayer of Jabez. That was a book that was popular about 20 years ago. 
Well, a few verses up in, in 1 Chronicles 4 is the prayer of Jabez. So you may have been here before without really knowing it. But in this text, 1 Chronicles 4.18, there's just kind of a random line that mentions Pharaoh's daughter. And it gives Pharaoh's daughter a name. So these were the children of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, in English, we would say Bithiah or something like that. That's how we would probably pronounce it. But it's Bitya. And I'll show you where that comes from in a minute. These were the children of Pharaoh's daughter. And so the sages of Israel said, that's, the, that's Pharaoh's daughter, the same one that rescued Moses. Now, we don't know if it is or not. I'm just telling you this is their tradition, and I'll show you how they connect these two because it's actually pretty cool. So these were the children of Pharaoh's daughter, Bitiah. What does that name mean? So if we go over here, you have two words being put together. You have the word bat. What is bat in Hebrew? Daughter. So if you if a if you have a Jewish friend with a daughter, they might have a bat mitzvah. Daughter of a of a commandment is what that means. You've come of age where you're expected to obey the commandments. A daughter of a commandment. So bat is daughter. Yah. What's Yah? Anytime you find a name with Yah in it, well, that's short for Yahweh, the name of God. Not El, like Bet El would be the daughter of God, but the El God. Bet Yah, daughter of Yahweh, God. That's the name, the personal name. So, according to 1 Chronicles 4, Pharaoh's daughter's name is or gets a name, somehow, the daughter of God. Well, that's interesting. So how did that work? I mean, it's not mentioned anywhere else until you get to Chronicles. And Chronicles is a very late book. It was written after the exile uh, from in Babylon. So how do they connect these two? Well, here's what the rabbis say. So she has no name there. But we notice she said, the text tells us she becomes the mother of Moses. Moses becomes her son. And so there's a, it's a saying that comes out of the Talmud. It says, Moses was not your son, but you called him your son. You are not my daughter, but I will call you my daughter. The daughter of God. And that is a measure for measure, right? Because she adopted Moses, the Redeemer of Israel, and saved his life and called him a son and treated him like family, God says to Pharaoh's daughter, then that's what I'll do to you. I will turn around and call you a daughter of God, Bitya. Now, that's nowhere in the text, but they're trying to connect that, that, that um, verse in First Chronicles. How do you connect that back to Pharaoh's daughter? And clearly they see that God is pleased with her actions, uh, adopting Moses into the household. So, anyways, just a cool thought um, about Pharaoh's daughter, and at least according to the Bible, being called the daughter of God. So, I want to read two quotes to you 
And this is from Rabbi Sachs, because he wants to know, how do we, what do we interpret out of this? If that's true, and, and they assume that it is, what does that mean, right? And so here's just two quotes, and this is from the Covenant in Conversation. And uh, so Rabbi Sachs writes, he's talking about Pharaoh's daughter. It means that it, when it comes to people, we must never generalize, never stereotype. The Egyptians are not all evil. Even from, her- from Pharaoh himself, a heroine was born. So, kind of like when we talked about the midwives, if they were Egyptian, they still had the recognition of what was right and wrong. And that was a big deal. So what does God do? He blesses them with families. Well, if now you have Pharaoh's daughter, who is Egyptian, yet she, she disobeys her father and recognizes what's right in, in, when it comes to humanity. Okay, so that's the first quote. The second one that he says is, how do we summarize this? We must recognize virtue wherever we find it, even among our enemies. And the basic core of human values, humanity, compassion, courage, that is truly universal. Holiness may not be, but goodness is. And I thought that's a great summary. You know, be careful when we start to point a finger at someone in the other group as if they could never amount to anything. Because we need to look at the goodness, even in our enemy, because there will be signs and flickers of light, even in the darkest of places. Okay, so just back to our overview. You have the birth of Moses, the subtext. She saw it was good, and then go right into the Ark story, both stories that conjure up something about creation or new creation as Moses is being born. The same thing happens uh, in the, with the gospel writers with Jesus. Then Pharaoh's daughter, that we could see her role in the redemptive history and having the character to see and act and to not respond to a slave as a slave, but see Moses as a human being, and then care for him, him, him uh, herself, which keeps him safe so that ultimately he could lead his people out of Egypt. And now we're here today because it's all flowing downhill from there to the New Testament. All right. So that two separate things, very short story, 10 verses only, but man, you can dig in there. There's, there were stuff in there. I didn't have time to put everything in there. There's even more. And, uh, it's pretty cool how, what the authors are doing with using Hebrew words, and it just gets your mind to go point somewhere. So, okay, that's birth of Moses and Pharaoh's daughters. 